heart that holds on A glorious light beyond all compare There will be an end to these troubles But until that day comes We'll live to know you here on the earth And I will fear no evil For my God is with Watch out for those space heaters. Um, hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Church in the Valley. My name is Jeremy Walker. Uh, welcome to church this morning. I'm glad you made it out, and thanks for uh, bundling up and coming, even though it's chilly. We're glad that there was a pause from the rain, the little that we do get each year in California, but um, we're glad either way. Uh, welcome, everyone that's online, too. We want to let you guys know about just a few uh, announcements this morning. Uh, not too many this morning, but uh, if you're a guest with us this morning, we are grateful for you joining with us. If you're a guest in person, we have a gift for you. And there is a book over there on the guest resource table. Um, there's a book called How Good is Good Enough? And uh, if you would like a copy of that, 
just as on your way out, you're welcome to grab one of those for you or one of your family members. We'd love for you to take that as our uh, thank you for joining us this morning. Um, also, if you are with us in person and you would like physical copies of the note handouts or uh, the connection cards or things like that, you can also find that over at the guest resource table, including printouts of the lyrics of the songs that we're singing. And if you're online or you want to do it on your phone, you can just go on to uh, civalhambra.com forward slash Sunday and all that's there as well. You can also fill out your next steps on your connection card or any prayer requests or things that you like to fill out on the connection card as well. That can all be done on that connection card online or in person over there at the guest resource table. Um, and as usual with our uh, weekly and monthly giving, if, if you are wanting to give, uh, we're not going to be passing around the offering baskets as uh, per the usual right now, but you can also do that at the guest resource table. Basically, all your answers are at that guest resource table each week pretty much, um, and so you can find that there, or you can do that online as well. Uh, wanted to give you another quick update about our Christmas offering. So last week, which is pretty pretty wild, I said we were a little over halfway to our goal of 18000 and we were, this is a thing we do each year for a Christmas offering, kind of above our normal giving to the church, where we try to raise funds that don't go to the church, but really go to bless a lot of other ministries, both locally and in our country and, um, and then internationally even. And so we set a goal this year of 18, see, they're excited, even in the parking lot, um, about the announcement. But uh, we set a goal of 18,000. We were a little over halfway the last week. And this past week, a lot of you guys really stepped up and it's awesome. We are at 16,445. So we are just, you know, we're on the finish line right there. And um, so it, over this course is uh, next week, you guys, we, we got one more week to, you know, get to that finish line. If you guys want to help us reach that goal of 18,000, if you're wondering what is this Christmas offering and you haven't heard about it yet, um, there are also you guessed it, at the guest resource table. You can find out some information about some of the ministries that we're giving to, as well as online, again, at CIV Alhambra. There'll be a digital uh, little reading there, of a summary of the different ministries that we're going to be looking to be able to support through that. So thank you so much for all your uh, generous giving to that. I know that'll be a real blessing to the people that get to uh, be recipients of that. So let me pray for us, and then we will jump back in to some more worship. So, Father, thank you so much for the way that you... Um, just sovereignly orchestrate the way you bless people along the way who can really then be a blessing to other people. And we pray that as you've really taken care of us, that we would really look to take care of those around us and that we team up together and um, even accomplish more than we could just by ourselves. And so I pray that you would really be honored through the, through the worship this morning and that you would really speak to us and help us to learn how to better know you and follow you and do it together as a result of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Jeremy. I'm going to sing another song. Uh, we did this last week. It's called Resurrecting. Um, and as we're talking about a purpose in life today, um, just a good reminder that, you know, as Christians, we have been brought from death to life. Our lives are no longer our own to live. Uh, and so as we sing this song, I'd encourage you to meditate on that and to rejoice in this resurrection life that we've been given. Crowned with glory. 
the Savior now to wash our feet. Now at his feet we
resurrect us. God, we thank you that we are from, brought from death into life. And to all who have received you, you've given us this well of life that will never run dry. We've tasted and seen your goodness. We are now slaves to you and no longer slaves to sin. Thank you for the victory you give us. done for us. We put our trust in you. We throw our cares upon you because you love us. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So welcome Chief Up. Well, how's everybody doing this morning? Nice and warm? No, no. Hey, I tell you, I'm hoping I can turn the pages of my notes with my frozen fingers, so I'm going to try that. So if during the talk, if I walk over here and do this, you'll know what that's all about. Uh, my name is Jeep Underwood, and uh, it's a real privilege to uh, speak to you guys this morning. Uh, by the way, masks and wireless mics do not go together very well. <laughs> You know, I got a chair sitting over there all by myself. It reminds me of homeroom in high school. Uh, they uh, tended to separate me from the other folks. Seemed that I talked a lot. Um, so uh, this morning, uh, it's kind of interesting. The last time I spoke uh, to you all was a couple of days um, before the election. And now I'm speaking to you about four days after the inauguration. So I'm kind of like bookends. And, you know, the thing that I talked about, one of the perspectives that I talked about in that last talk is just that, uh, you know, there's something much bigger than politics going on in our world. God is doing something much bigger than politics. And that dovetails really, really very well with what I want to talk to you guys about today. What I want to talk about today is what our church is all about and uh, what's the reason we're here. What's the reason our church is here? And so as we, just before I, I get into that more, I just want to just bring up the point, you know, for about seven years, our church was a campus of another church. And then about a year ago, we became a standalone church. And when we did that, we worked through the membership materials, trying to define and clarify exactly really what our church, uh, what our church is about. Uh, do you guys hear a little bit of an echo? I hear just a touch of an echo. If not, I'll keep going. Uh, and so what we did is we, we, it's kind of the old adage that uh, Stephen Covey uh, brings up. He said, you know, management is climbing the ladder of success, but leadership is making sure the ladder's against the right wall. And so what we wanted to do is really make sure that, that uh, our ladder was leaned against the right wall. And we wanted to be very clear in how we presented that and uh, what the church is really trying to accomplish. And Every year, uh, we allow, we actually ask our members to rethink if they want to continue being members, kind of give them an opportunity to rethink things. And that's going to happen this year uh, in about the March time frame, just so you guys know that's coming. And uh, we're going to be sending out those membership materials 
uh, to all of our members. So you guys can be reading through those, thinking through those as you're uh, making that decision in March. And so this morning, I want, I'm going to kind of just kind of zoom out and kind of give a big picture of what we're about. And if I want to say that if you're not a member uh, of us today, maybe you're a visitor or maybe you've just recently started coming, this is going to be an opportunity to kind of just hear like what it is we're about as a church. And so I'd like to go ahead and move on to, you know, as I start talking about the big picture of what we're about, uh, I'd like to start with just the very idea of church. It might, it might surprise some of you to know that the word church is actually never uh, mentioned in the New Testament. The word church is never used. Uh, now, it is in your Bible, but it, in the original languages in, uh, in the Greek, the word is not church. The word is ecclesia. And so when Jesus said, you know, on this, on this rock, I will build my church, what he was saying is on this rock, I will build my ecclesia. And uh, what does ecclesia mean? You know, as, if, in the original languages in the Greek, what ecclesia means is the called out ones. The called out ones. And in the first century, this church was, this, uh, this word was really routinely used for city officials who had gathered for some purpose, like a city council or an assembly. And so it's clear when Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my ecclesia. He wanted us to be a called out, his followers to be really a called out gathering for a purpose. That's what he intended for us to be. And so this morning, I want to start off just clarifying really what that purpose is that Jesus has for us. And to do that, I'd like to just take some time just to watch and listen some things from Jesus uh, in Matthew chapter 9. Now, as you, as you go through Matthew chapter 9, if you read it, it's really kind of a picture. It's kind of a day in the life of Jesus. You really kind of see like how he lived his life, what his normal course of living was and how people interacted with him. And, uh, you know, we don't know how long Matthew 9 lasts. We don't know if it covers a week or a month. We really don't know, but it really does give a picture of what his normal day-to-day life looked like. And one thing that we see is that Jesus was completely immersed in the lives of other people. Jesus was completely immersed in the lives of other people. Uh, He was right in the middle of their pain, their suffering, the distresses that they were in. He was right in the middle of their hopes and dreams. Uh, This is where he talks, he walks up, this is where he meets Matthew. And this is the part where Matthew's book intersects his own story. And Jesus says, follow me. And and when Matthew stands up and follows Jesus, it changed everything in his life, changed the whole trajectory of his life. And Jesus was there interacting with him. And Jesus also, you see him immersed in the lives of people that most people wouldn't want to associate with. Uh, a lot of Matthew's friends, <laughs> for one. And so you, you really see, you really see uh, how Jesus was immersed in the lives of other people. And then at the end of Matthew 9, Matthew kind of sums up Jesus's, Jesus's approach and his lifestyle. And this is Matthew 9:35. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. He just continually gave his life away and traveled through the region, immersing his life in the lives of other people. And then he describes, then Matthew describes Jesus' heart. And in uh, Matthew nine thirty six, it says, he's talking about Jesus and it says, when he saw the crowds, 
These are the people he's interacting with, the people that he's walking through their, their places they live. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus looked at the, the lost people all around him and he just felt compassion for them because they were doing about the best they knew how. They just needed help. They needed to, they really needed some direction in life. They really needed someone really to point them to the truth. And he saw them, he saw the problems they faced. He saw their wrong thinking where it says they were harassed and helpless. Uh, in the original language, the idea is kind of scattered, like their thinking's just scattered. They can't really get their thoughts straight. And also he saw just their, a lot, he saw as he connected with people, some of their stubborn refusal to listen. Their stubborn refusal to listen. So he's like got everything to help. And yet there's these, all these barriers. And he saw all that and he felt compassion for them. And then it goes on, uh, Matthew goes on and he says, then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. One thing that Jesus saw is that there were so many people for one guy. He knew that there needed to be a whole movement of people that would immerse their lives in the lives of other people. That's what he needed. And he asked them to pray for that. And then the very next thing he did is he took the 12 and he sent them on a, in Matthew 10, he takes the 12 and he sends them out on some mission trips themselves. And he says, go only to the lost sheep of Israel. And he kept the parameters down because he just wanted this to be a training experience for them to learn how to immerse themselves in the lives of people like he had done. And then uh, he continued to train and to work with them. And then they come to the point uh, where he gave his life on the cross. And what he did is he, he, he satisfied God's demands for justice so that we could actually be forgiven of the wrongs and the things that we've done wrong and open a door for us really to step into the life that God has always wanted for us. And then after he resurrected from the dead, I want to just real quickly, the very, uh, one of the things he said, uh, one of the last things he said before he left, and that's in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, where he said this to his disciples. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. <clears throat> that word, when he says, go therefore, that word in the original language is better, is better uh, translated as, as you are going, as you're living your life to make disciples. So he, what he wants us to do is he wants us to immerse our lives, ourselves in the lives of other people and really engage with them just like he did. And just like the picture you have in Matthew 9, how he lived his life connected to them. And then he says to make disciples. And what he didn't, he didn't say get lost people to become churchgoers. He said, help lost people become disciples of me. And, and just the word disciple, essentially just a word, it just means learner. And it, the picture it paints is really becoming an apprentice of Jesus, an apprentice of his, really learning from him, becoming more and more to take on his mindset and uh, his life. <clears throat> that purpose is really what God is calling the, his ecclesia to do. He's what he's calling our church to do is to reach the lost to be disciples of Jesus Christ. 
So the, the, you know, that's what, that's what really drives the Father's heart. That's what really drives Jesus's heart. And that's really what drives our heart here at Church in the Valley, Alhambra, is to reach the lost. In fact, you could say the reason our church is here, the reason our church is here is for the sake of the lost. The reason we're here is for the sake of the lost. Now, what does it mean to be lost? I want to just kind of walk through some of what this, what this means, but what does it mean to be lost? You know, to be lost is to be lost from God. It's like to be a lost, really away from God. And I don't really know how to describe it except maybe to paint some pictures of like what it looks like. And so for someone who's lost, it's a person who really doesn't want God to be God. They don't want God to be God. In fact, they kind of have this, they have this mistaken impression that they are God in their own lives. You know, uh, they mistake their own person for God and they try to control the outcomes. They try to maneuver and, and figure out how to live their lives and really make things happen the way they want to happen. And when they can't control outcomes and they don't really get what they want, then they tend to just blame everyone. And we've all, we've all been here. They blame everyone around them. They, they get mad at the world. They get mad at God. They get mad at people. And the picture, like when I think, when I think of someone who's in that condition, the picture that comes to my mind is kind of someone whose fists are beginning to clench more and more and more. So their fists are beginning to clench more and more. And the more, and the more they get angry and the more they get disappointed in how things turn out, their fists become clenched tighter and tighter. And so when I look at some this morning is how, how does someone go from being lost to being really on the path of transformation like Jesus? How, do you, how does a person go from that place where their, finch, their, their fists are clenched to really becoming a disciple of Jesus? Um, and I, there's, a, there's a moment in time to go from being lost to becoming a disciple of Jesus. There's a moment in time. There's a decision point that must occur for that transition to take place and for new life to begin. And I want to, I want to, I want to look at that point uh, this morning. You know, as I've been reading, as I've just been reading the scriptures uh, recently over the past few months, I've been, I've been really struck by how many characters in the Old Testament, how many people I've seen in the scriptures who've come to this point over and over again. And this, I've seen this point over and over. And what I want to do this morning is look at one of those people that that has really come to my attention as I've been reading and really following Paul's example when he says what was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And so I want to look at this king of Judah. Now, you, when you read through Second Chronicles, it, it, it talks about all the good kings of Judah and all the bad kings that were uh, in, in place in Judah. And, you know, it's like there were some good ones, there were some bad ones, there were some good ones that went bad, you know, and then there's this one, this one king, as I was reading, that just really stood out to me and something that really resonated with me, and that is uh, King Manasseh. King Manasseh uh, became king uh, when he was 12 years old, and he reigned for 55 years. So just think, that'd be like he became king in 1965, and he still was. So that's a long time uh, for someone to be in charge. And his dad was one of the good kings. His dad... He wasn't perfect, but he did a lot of really good things, and he really pointed people the right direction. But Manasseh was one of the most wicked kings that ever ruled. In fact, it was almost like he took all of the practices of every terrible king that ever lived 
and he made that his rule book. And he just started trying to do everything that they did. And he came in and he undid all of his dad's reforms, all of his dad's uh, godly practices. And he got everyone following him and he turned the whole nation's heart away from God. And he, 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 he went so far as he, be, he instituted worship to other gods. He even took and built altars on the temple of the court, in the temple courtyard uh, to other gods. He turned everyone completely against God. And then he did something that really struck me, and that is he sacrificed his own sons to other gods. He did, it was human sacrifice. He had gone that far off the rails. And as you're reading this, I don't, as I'm reading this, I'm just thinking, oh man, this guy needs to go down. And, you know, you just kind of, you know, I think he needs to be removed, not just from leadership, but kind of removed from the earth. You need, this guy is doing horrible things. And then there's this moment in time, you know, God is continually, you see, as you read through Second uh, Chronicles 33, you see God continually trying to connect with him and speak with him and the people. Until finally, it says this in Second Chronicles 33.10, the Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no attention. God's trying to get their attention. He's trying to get his attention, but they just paid, they paid no attention. And what happened, you can see that, you know, Manasseh's fists just continually to clench. And he's trying to be the master of his own domain. And then what God did was he ratcheted up the pressure on Manasseh. He turned the pressure up and he brought some dramatic hardship on him. And in Second Chronicles 33, 11, the very next verse, it says, but they paid no attention. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria, who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. Now, just imagine what that experience was like for him. He was the king. People looked at him. He, he was in rule and control. And these invaders come in. They take over where he's at. And they bind him with chains. And they put a hook in his nose. And they pull him out of his palace. And they take him where they're going. And they wind up hundreds of miles away in Babylon. Uh, completely away from where he lives. I can just imagine the shame that he felt. And the distress that he was under as that happened. As his whole world crumbled down. And he winds up in this prison in Babylon. And then that's where the moment that I'm talking about happened for him. This moment that helps, you go from, that helps you go from being lost to being someone that God can really help. This moment happened in his life. It says in the next verse, it says, And when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God. And humbled, him, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. What happened is in that prison in Babylon, God reached him. Now, I, I don't know if maybe he was thinking of the things that his father Hezekiah had told him. I don't know if he began to think through like what the prophets had been trying to tell him. Uh, but God reached him in that cell. And what happened was he unclenched his fists. And he greatly humbled himself before God. And he asked him for help. Now, what's really interesting is what God's response to that was. Because as I'm reading this, as I'm reading this story, I'm starting to see, I'm starting to see, I've been to that point. 
And just knowing what God would do to a guy like that means a lot to me. And what God did next, it says, in, uh, it says when Manasseh prayed to him, God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. When God heard, when, when God saw him humble himself and unclench his fist, God's heart was moved. And he, what he did is he then restored him to being king. He took him back and he became king again. I don't, I don't know how God engineered that, but God engineered the circumstances. He became back and became king. And for the next several years, he ruled a very different way. And it said that Manasseh knew that the Lord was God and not him. And then uh, when Manasseh got back, Manasseh was a changed man. He was never the same. Manasseh was never the same. He went and he undid everything that he had set up. He restored the temple. He tore out the altars that he had built. He then said, you can only, you can only sacrifice to God in the temple. And then he commanded Judah to serve the Lord. So his life was never the same after that. He was dramatically changed. Now, one thing I see as I look at this story is that God wanted a relationship with Manasseh and he never gave up on him. God wanted a relationship with Manasseh and he never gave up on him. And the hardships that happened in his life were God, were an expression of God's love to him. God wanted to have a relationship with him. And the hardship that God put in there was just what it took to unclench his fists. It's just what it took to unclench his fist. Uh, you know, I think all of us, I know I can, I think all of us can think back to when we were lost. If we're walking with God now, we can think back to when we were lost and we can remember that moment when we first unclenched our fists and how everything began to change after that. And we allowed God to be God and we didn't try to be God any longer. So, uh, th so, as I, as I was saying, I was, I've been reading through the scriptures. I've been seeing this moment in time in a lot of people's lives. And I just want to read just a verse that I saw in Job. This is in Job thirteen sixteen, And uh, it, this is, there's four friends that Job has that are giving him advice or kind of, kind of beating up on him as he goes through some really hard things in his life. And God rebukes three of them for what they says. And there's one guy he never rebukes. And this is something that that friend, Elihu, shared with Job. And he, he, he basically, what he, let, me, let me read what he, what he said to Job. He, he's talking to Job and he said, God is wooing you from the jaws of distress to a spacious place free from restriction to the comfort of your table laden with choice food. What he, was saying, what he was saying to Job and to us is that God woos us from the jaws of distress to the freedom that we've desired and to the satisfaction that we've always desired in life, the satisfaction in him. When God, God uses hardship and distress to get our attention, and then he woos us from, from our distress into the relationship that he's always wanted with us. So God is... When you're going through hard times, you're going through something tough, just remember this, is that God is wooing you back into the relationship that he's always wanted with you. He's trying to get his, your eyes back on him. 
Now, I'd like to just share a story. Uh, like, what, what does this look like in like our day and age? I wanted to just share a story. This is uh, a gentleman that I, I heard about on a TED Talk. Uh, his name's Shaka Singor. In fact, I really encourage you to, if you Google uh, uh, TED Talk Redemption, this is one of the ones that'll pop up. But his name is Shaka Singor. And I want to tell you just a little bit about his story. He, uh, he went to, he's a guy who went to prison when he was 19 for murder. And I want to tell you just his story, kind of what led up to that and, and, and where he's at now. But he says, he says as, he, as he's sharing his story, he says that he grew up in Detroit and he was an honor roll student, a scholarship student, and he had dreams of becoming a doctor. But things went dramatically wrong when his parents separated and eventually divorced. And he doesn't go into detail, but uh, basically he says his life was just completely shattered. And then at the age of 17, uh, he was just standing on the corner of a block in Detroit and a car drove by and shot him three times for no apparent reason. And he was shot three times and the, they took him to the hospital and uh, they were able to save him, able to take care of him, but he was completely alone. He said that there was no one in his life. Uh, no one, he said no one hugged him. No one counseled him. No one told him it was going to be okay. And then uh, he began to really live in fear. He began to live in fear, and he said he began to become paranoid, and he became hyper-violent to, a, to a kind of counteract the violence that he saw around him and in his life. And uh, he started carrying a gun himself. And so 14 months later at 2 o'clock in the morning, he fired four shots into a car, and a man lost his life. And he was put into prison for his murder when he was 19 years old. Now, he says that when he entered prison in 1991, he says I, he was bitter. He says, I was angry. I was hurt. I didn't want to take responsibility. I blamed everybody from my parents uh, to the system. And he says he, he says he rationalized his decision to shoot because in the hood where he came from, it's better to be the shooter than the person who gets shot. And so he, that's just kind of the way he rationalized that. And then he says, and actually, and as I'm reading that, you can almost see his fists clenching, just the way his life is going, and he's just getting hardened, and you see his fists clenching. And then he says, as he sat in that cold cell, he felt hopeless, helpless, unloved, and abandoned, and he felt like nobody cared about him. And he found himself getting deeper and deeper into trouble. In fact, he says this. He says, I ran black market stores. I loan sharked. I sold drugs that were legally smuggled into the prison. And eventually, he landed in solitary confinement. And he was in solitary confinement for, for seven and a half years. Now, this is a real pick-me-up story, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, this, as you read this, it's like, man, the, he just, he keeps making decisions. And he gets more and more hardened and harder things happen to him. And he said, but there was one ray of hope that would come along in his life every once in a while. See, just before he went into prison, he had a son. And he never got to raise his son because he was in prison for about 20 years. But he said there would be a ray of hope once in a while because his little boy would write him a letter sometimes. And he would look forward to that. But he said there was this one day when he, his son was about 10. He got a letter from his son and he opened it up. 
And in capital letters at the top of it, it said, my mama told me why you was in prison. Murder. And he said, dad, don't kill. Jesus watches what you do. Pray to him. And he says, he says that when he read that letter, he said it was the most devastating letter he'd ever received in his life. Um, the picture came to his head is, how is my son going to remember me? What kind of, what am I teaching my son about how to live your life? And it began to really just kind of you know, rack him up. And then he said, this, he said this, and this is a, this is a quote. He says, the letter broke through the facade of hood toughness and it broke through the facade of prison toughness and it got straight to my heart in a real way. It went right to his heart and he was shaken and, he, and the things, just uh, that thought of his son and the way his son was going to view him, it just opened up a whole view of like where he was at and the wrong way he was he was headed. And what happened right then, this is not his words, but what happened right then is he unclenched his fists. He got to that place where he was broken and he unclenched his fists and it opened him up to actually hear things. And so he, he began to listen to mentors. Like he has, he said, some of the, some of the great guys in his life at that point were some lifers in prison who were trying to help him and he had never listened to them. He started listening to mentors he began to read books uh, that really challenged who he could become. And he began journaling to sort through things uh, that, he had, that had been a part of his life. In fact, he wrote a book called Writing My Wrongs, which is a play on words because it's W-R-I-T-I-N-G, Writing My Wrongs. And he's basically like a confession, but also kind of a cathartic, like dealing with what he's done wrong in his life and how he moved on. And now he teaches at the University of Michigan, and he's an advocate for prison reform. He's just, he's a guy that has been turned to 180 from that moment when he unclenched his fist. Now, one thing that he hasn't done, I've, I've read through several of his, uh, like, uh, different interviews he's had. One thing, as far as I can tell, one thing that he hasn't done is he's not committed his life to Christ. And he really hasn't begun the journey of discipleship. He's not made that turn. But you know what? He's really open to consider it. God has him at a place right now where he's really open to considering that. And I think what Shaka really needs right now is for someone in his life who walks with God that can point him to the one who's been pursuing him. I think if he had someone around his life that could point him to the one who's been pursuing him, I think that uh, he would be really open to hearing that. And his life could really change. Now, I want to just share for each of us, you know, each of us have uh, many people around our lives. Uh, we have uh, family, we have friends, we have coworkers, uh, we have neighbors, we have people with whom we live around. And what, what God really wants us to do, the ones of us that are walking with him, what he wants us to do is just to engage ourselves and immerse ourselves into the, with the people around us, just as we're living our lives. Include people with our, in our lives, immerse ourselves in the world around us. And that way, as God works in their lives and they come to the place where they unclench their fists, then we'll be around their life. And uh, they would think of us as someone to talk to 
when that moment happens. And so that, you know, for us to come alongside, befriend and engage with the people that are around our lives poises us to put us in a place where God could really use us to help point people to him. And I think, I really think that's what Jesus had in mind when he talked about the, us being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So this morning, uh, as, I, as I just wrap up, this morning, you know, maybe, maybe you're here, maybe you're online, or maybe you'll hear this talk, and you've never really come to the place where you've unclenched your fist. Maybe you've never come to that place. Uh, maybe you've been trying to control your life and things just aren't turning out right. You're dealing with hard problems and outcomes of things you've done, and maybe you've just never realized that the, that the God that the uh, that God has been wooing you into the relationship that He's always wanted with you. Maybe you've just never realized that. Well, I would I would encourage you. I would encourage you today, just to surrender and unclench your fists, and really accept Christ's offer of forgiveness, and make Him the boss and the teacher of your life. And really uh, let him be God in your life. Make him the God of your life. And then begin to really follow Jesus and be an apprentice of him. And uh, it'll make all the difference. I know it has for me. And then maybe, you know, maybe, you're, maybe you've been walking with God. Maybe you're here this morning. You've been walking with God. But things have been kind of hard. And you've been going through some difficult things. And maybe your hands have started to clench up. Maybe your hands have started to clench up. And, you know, it could be maybe you're, just as a quick example, maybe someone, you were promised something at work and it never happened. And you get frustrated and angry and your hands start to clench up. And maybe, maybe the hardship you're facing at work, maybe it's what God is doing to show you that you've been pursuing work as your, as your God or work as your ultimate goal. And he wants to woo you back in the relationship that he's always wanted with you. And so I would encourage you this morning, if you, if you find that your hands have started to clench up, to just unclench your hands, humble yourself with God, and just turn back and pursue him more. Because he is, uh, that's his heart. And uh, if he won't give up on Manasseh, he's not going to give up on you. And he's just waiting. That's just what he's like. And he's just waiting for that. So um, I'd like to just say just a quick word uh, to parents. One of the, one of the things uh, as a parent, one of the things you want to do is you want to help your little, your little one learn to live their life without having clenched fists. That's one thing as parents that we really have to do is to help our little ones learn how to live under the authority that we have in their lives with unclenched fists. Help them to understand uh, how to live with authority, and also how, uh, um, I, guess, I guess what I would say is that as a parent, you would act in their life the way God acts in yours. What God does is he, he sometimes brings punishment to bear. He brings hardship because he's trying to get you into the relationship that he's always wanted with you. As a parent, that's what you want to do with your kids. And if you can get your kids to begin to, to live with unclenched fists under your authority, then when they grow up and God invades their life, they will already have those muscles built in. And it's a huge, huge thing for us as parents to, to raise our kids with unclenched fists.
So I want to end with just one quick thing is, you know, uh, last uh, uh, Thanksgiving time, I uh, went, went up and visited my folks. We went to visit my folks and I had uh, dinner with uh, one of my really good friends, my best friend from high school. And we also started college together before he decided to go build cabinets and I decided to go further on. But we started off in college together. So we're having dinner and, and I grew up with, like I said, I grew up with him. With, uh, and he, we're going to sit, he sits across the table and he said, Jeep, I got to ask you something. Have you ever thought about moving away from LA and moving back up here? And I'll be honest, I have. <laughs> uh, I love where I grew up. It's the mountains. It's up in the high Sierras. And he said, you know, you know, Jeep, of all the people I knew growing up, you're the one I least thought would ever live in the city. <laughs> and I said, yeah, well, you're probably right there. And so we, we had some discussion about that. But you know why? You know why I live in L.A.? The reason I live in L.A. is I don't want to miss out on what God's doing right here. I really think that this group of people is perfectly poised to make a real difference. And I don't want to miss out on what God's going to do here. This is a a unique group of folks. And uh, I'm just really glad to be a part of that. And uh, so with that, I'd like to ask the band to go ahead and come back up as I pray. Dear God, Father, uh, we're just very grateful to you that you never give up on us. And I pray, God, this morning that all of us would unclench our fists and walk with you and change into the people that you really want us to be and that we can be the people that the world desperately need. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we're going to take some time to reflect on that. If you guys haven't already, I encourage you guys to complete your connection card, uh, which you can find online. Again, civalhammer.com. Let us know about your next steps um, and what you're going to do with the message you heard today. i mm-hmm.
Thank you that this amazing grace you have given to us is available to all people. That you have given us this charge of the gospel to spread because you want a relationship with us as our Father, as our King, as our friend, as our God. May we rest in that and rejoice in that and live as if that is our purpose. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys stand with us just one last song. 
The dark tried to hide you and steal you away. Death tried to keep you inside of the grave. The enemy fought you, he tried, but he lost his Lord. You cannot be stopped. When we cried for freedom, you tore down the walls. The weight of our burdens, you carried it all. Our fears and our faith.
against our God. Sing hallelujah, the battle is won. Nothing can stand against our God. Amen. Thank you guys so much for joining us this Sunday morning. We'll hope to see you guys next week.